is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Another week of FUVFC. We're hitting the summer stride, or more like the summer lull, as we may transition to episodes bi-weekly, just so we can have jam-packed you know, conversations, because it might get a little stale in these summer months, as it always does, especially with the 2022 World Cup pushed back to Qatar, but it's myself, Keenan Troy, joined by Nick Guzman and Michael Hernandez donning another Premier League shirt. I don't know where Spurs came up with that color combination, but it looks like somebody took some something at a Fish concert back in the 70s and threw it on a T-shirt and called it a Spurs training top. Boys, are, are I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the away kit, by the way. Uh, I'm like 99% sure that this is the away kit from – the season that just ended well regardless boys it's good to be back with one another amongst friends discussing an interesting united states men's national team friendly window that saw them triumph three nil against morocco as well as a nil nil draw to uruguay both matches played at home here in the states both those two teams are world cup teams both of them will be in qatar but the united states is not going to see either one of them it is confirmed now that after a triumph against Scotland, Ukraine's run for glory for the world to watch ended against Wales, as I anticipated, James Burley anticipated, as well as Michael last week. But boys, before we get into all that stuff, how are we all doing with summer in full tilt? Nice 80 degrees today here in New York City. I'm doing pretty good. You know, if the World Cup was in the summer, I believe it'd be kicking off tomorrow which would give us a lot to talk about. We don't have to go bi-weekly. We could stick to a weekly schedule. Everything would be good. But instead, we're going to have some Thanksgiving World Cup action. That's fine, I guess. Kind of sucks a little bit. But besides that, I'm doing good. Summer's rolling along. Already June. So just keep chugging along here. Yeah, I mean, same here. You know, I'm just happy to be on. Uh, Kind of sad that, you know, that there isn't going to be as much soccer uh, compared to, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, but, um, you know, I'm just happy to be on. Well, boys, it is good to be back. And, you know, obviously we love a summer world cup. It's in the fall. What can you do? Sepp Blatter got his pocket stuffed while he could before he got ran out of office way back when the United States though, started their world cup qualifying, not qualifying, excuse me, their world cup tune-ups, um, against Morocco last week on Wednesday, June 1st, taking down the Moroccan side 3-0. Aronson, Wea, and Haji Wright, both all three scoring. Haji Wright getting his first goal and his first cap for the national team. 
I think there's a lot of takeaways from this match, more so than the Uruguay match, which was a nil-nil draw last Sunday, which clearly Burhalter was comfortable with the draw. I don't know why, but at this point in the National League campaign going into the World Cup, I'm going to leave all criticism of Greg Burhalter on the back burner and see what this squad can produce. And then after the World Cup in November and into December, I will come forth with my slander once more as this podcast is heard for so long. Also, um, a, po- a piece of housekeeping before we dive into this. I think FUVFC is close, if not at its one-year mark of returning to the podcast airwaves. So, gentlemen, big thank you for, you know, picking up a lot of the slack this year and, you know, being such great contributors to this podcast. Whether we get a million views or if it's just us and our parents tuning in, it doesn't really matter to me. It's just fun to talk soccer with like-minded people. So big ups to all of us involved, James Burley, Eli Keeler, Dylan Balsamo, who started this with me, Danny Perry at one point, and anyone else, Matty Bimonte, who's hopped on and helped out, including our very own Alex Wolves, as always. Let's get into that U.S. match. That Brendan Aronson goal was one of the best goals I think we've seen from this national team in a long time. Long ball played over the top, Pulisic with a touch that would, you know, remind people that he is a world-class player and that he should be starting for Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea anytime he sh- anytime he's fit. Squares the ball to Aronson, and he makes no mistake about it, an easy finish for the new Leeds man. Timothy Weah then in the 32nd minute, some six minutes later, scores a belter from outside the box. You know, remember World Cup qualifying. It took Weah a little bit to get on the goal sheet. He had that one-year post-finish that was in off a deflection, but besides that, key contributions from him going forward. Um, I like that goal, especially for him, because it looks like he's solidified himself as a member of that front three. Whether they go with a true striker in the form of Haji Wright, who gets a penalty after Pulisic hands him the ball, a good moment between two former U.S. under-20 national team members, Pulisic after the game talking about it, but Across the board, it was, a, it was a strong performance. We saw Matt Turner in net, who I personally think is going to be the number one for Qatar, especially, you know, big deal out to Arsenal, which I'm a little skeptical about just because there's no way he's cracking Ramsdale. And, you know, I just don't see him getting a lot of playing time, much like a Zach Steffen situation. But I covered up pretty much all the bases, boys, just on a, a general note. I'm going to open it up, you know, anything we like, dislike from that team, from that game against Morocco. I felt that was a not a starting 11 that with the exception of Weston McKinney, who's still struggling to get fully fit. That was a starting 11 that you could expect to see in Qatar. And for the most part, they held their own and played like a cohesive unit. There were a couple of key takeaways from me. You know, in qualifying, we've seen so often that Adams, McKenney, Musa midfield. And I've said a couple of times on this podcast how I'd like to see some of the players that are pushed to the wings, like Aronson and Gio Reyna when he's healthy, what they could do in that in those midfield positions. And Aronson got a start in the midfield. I thought it was very it was very effective when you have a player like him who can push the ball forward and has more of a final touch than Musa or McKenney does. It's a lot more effective. So I think, you know, going forward, you know, we saw in the Uruguay game, Adams, McKenney, Musa back as a trio in the middle. And, you know, Musa, McKenney, excellent ball carriers, but the final pass, the final touch lacking a little bit. I think that extra bit of creativity is very helpful for the U.S., especially 
as a team that struggled to be creative at in moments during qualifying. I think the other takeaway is at center back, you know, Miles Robinson, as we know, is down with the Achilles injury, so he's going to be out for Qatar. I think you, before his injury, you could pencil in Zimmerman and Miles Robinson as the starting center back tandem. Now it's definitely Zimmerman. I think he proved that over these two games and over qualifying. And then it's the other center back spot that's a big question mark. Aaron Long, who gets a lot of slander, he gets a lot of hate from men's national team fans on Twitter and online. But, you know, myself and James Burley text a lot about how it's totally unwarranted. I mean, we've watched the, we watch the Red Bulls every single week. We cover them for FUV. Aaron Long's a very good player. I think, does he deserve to start? Maybe not. But I think a lot of the slander he catches, he people forget he was a starter and a frequent captain for this team in 2019 before his Achilles injury. And he's recovered from the injury. I don't think he's really lost a step. He looks like he did before. He had very, the very least deserves a look in at center back. I think he's, definitely in conversation to be in the squad and to start also because in the Uruguay game, Eric Palmer Brown got some minutes at center back. I thought he looked very shaky. The other option is Chris Richards who's not healthy right now. I think for me at center backs, the Zimmerman Richards tandem is ideal, but I also think if Aaron Long was to start back there in guitars, Walker Zimmerman, it wouldn't be the end of the world. And your point about Matt Turner is I'll wrap it up. I think he's definitely gotta be the starter in guitar. Just Zach Steffen, when he's healthy, there's the argument that he's better with his feet, but then he might be. But the way he plays with the ball at his feet is so casual sometimes. We saw an infamous FA Cup semifinal against Liverpool, his mistake that that cost City the game. I think it's definitely Turner and goal. When Serginho Dest is back, he's going to be at right back. And then that 11 that I saw against Morocco is pretty similar to what I would start in Qatar. Of course, there's the question about Jesus Ferrer at the nine, who's going to start at the nine, but that's something that I feel he's going to be just based purely on form going into guitar, who's scoring goals at that moment. That's probably going to be who's going to start up top. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with everything you said. Um, I thought that, um, you know, the first game against uh, Morocco was great for the U.S. men's national team, um, you know, especially um, uh, the Aronson goal, because I think, uh, I'm not sure if, if he was announced as the Leeds player before or after that, but it, it was around that time, and now he's the second most expensive player if I'm not mistaken in U.S. men's national team history so it was it was nice to see him get a goal uh, exciting uh, and I can't wait to see what he does for Leeds but one point I do want to bring up is I, I know that you guys are you know um, Zach Steffen and uh, Matt Turner but you know the issue that I see with Turner if any is that yeah he's going to go to Arsenal but it's like you said Keenan I don't think he starts in front of Ramsdale so why not have um, the goalkeeper who was against a, a Uruguay because, you know, Sean Johnston is playing in the MLS week in, week out. Yeah, you know, comparing the MLS to the Premier League is a debate that we've had several times before, Keenan, but, you know, at least he's playing every single week. With Turner, yeah, fine, you may get him a couple of games, maybe in preseason or in the knockout competitions, but, you know, he, he may be rusty in comparison to, uh, it, uh, compared to the other goalkeepers. Yeah, well, I think Sean Johnson obviously played very well against Uruguay. And I think there are a few things that Burlhalter needs to consider. And I guess, you know, as U.S. rounded up this competitive window before they play this upcoming week against Granada and El Salvador in the CONCACAF Nations League, which I would anticipate Burhalter to, you know, try out some more center back combinations, maybe try and see what a nine looks like. Because you know, 
Ferreira was, I don't want to say absent in his two starts against Uruguay and Morocco, but I think it's going to be a game where he tests some things. I definitely expect to see Sean Johnson back in net for one of those matches, just because obviously he played so well, but he's also been lights out for NYCFC. And so these CONCACAF Nations League matches certainly don't mean a whole lot. I mean, it's a new trophy, just like the European Nations League. So I think it's going to be a two-match period where there's a lot of combinations thrown out there from Burhalter. But, you know, touching on the point of goalkeeper, I think something – and analyzing Sean Johnson too, it's that the one blessing that the European players have, whether it be Matt Turner or Sean, uh, Zach Steffen, who don't see a lot of time, is that when Qatar rolls around, they're not going to be coming off, you know, a long European season where they're training week in and week out. Not to say they're taking the summer off, but, you know, it's a lot more rehab. It's a lot more strength and conditioning. It's a lot more fundamental training than, you know, go out there and play. So that's something to consider. And, you know, obviously the injury shakeout, um, you look at a guy like Ethan Horvath, too, who Nottingham Forest just got promoted. He's their backup. You know, he played, you know, for us Liverpool fans when they played each other in the FA Cup, he played exceptionally well then. Who can forget his penalty save against Mexico last year in the Nations League final? So I think there's a ton of moving pieces at goalkeeper. Right now, though, it does seem to be Turner, just based on his starts and his form throughout qualifying and now throughout friendlies. I think going forward, though, that's where it gets really interesting because the big criticism of this team is that they haven't had a true number nine since maybe young Josie Altidore, maybe aging Clint Dempsey. So Nick, you touched on it. And if we want to have a small little discussion is to keep things moving to avoid, you know, redundancies and repetition. I think, you know, when you bring up a thing, a question of form, it gets so difficult for me, at least as a fan to analyze because we see it, I think, Ferreira is the most explicit example of this, that the form that it requires you to score goals in the MLS doesn't always transcend to an international level, not because you lack that killer instinct, even though, you know, Ferreira has missed a couple howlers in the past six months. It's, it's more of a, a skill in terms of the buildup and what's required out of you as a striker. You know, he did score that hat trick last month for, FC Dallas, and I remember U.S. men's national team social media was a buzz. People were saying, this is our number nine. And then he goes out and lays back-to-back goose eggs and consecutive starts without looking exceptionally dangerous. So I think it's going to be exceptionally difficult for us as fans to speculate. No less Greg Burhalter to decide who's going to be that starting number nine. My only thought is, do you think we could see a combination where Pulisic plays – like false nine or even nine himself. And then you surround him with Aronson and Wea just to get your best nine on the uh, best 11 on the field, because without a doubt, those three ought to be considered. And if you play Pulisic in that false nine, Nick, you know, you're talking about creativity going into the final third. If he sits in a little deeper, he can, you know, create chances and then get dangerous in the box. I, I, that's a thought that I'm kind of leaning towards just because we haven't seen a true number nine emerge from the pool of strikers that Greg Burhalter continuously selects. And I think that it has gone past the time of splitting hairs about, oh, which guy's a little bit better, which guy's in a little bit better of form. I, I just don't know if in Qatar the U.S. can afford to roll out a weaker number nine 
in hopes of letting Pulisic play isolated soccer down the wing. It's at the point with the striker problem where you have to start thinking about things like a false nine and playing a different kind of system because sure your system might call for now and now number nine, like Haji Wright or Jesus Ferreira or Josh Sargent, but if none of those guys are producing, you have to start thinking elsewhere. I'm not sure if Pulisic's the answer at nine. If we had a healthy Gio Reyna, I think that is somebody who could play the false nine position more effectively than Pulisic could. He's more creative I think he's got a better pass on him. I think but the problem is a healthy Gio Reyna right now is like a unicorn. He's been so constantly injured over this last year that it's it's frustrating when he's probably the US's most, you know, talented player technically techni- from a technical standpoint. There's been some fans calling for Tim Weah through the middle. I think he's definitely more effective down the wing, but still the fact that I feel like on this podcast, since since the fall, we've been talking about this number nine position. And in that time in September and October, Jesus Ferrer wasn't on the radar. And now all of a sudden he's starting. Haji Wright was on the radar at all. Now he's in the squad. Somebody like Josh Sargent has dropped off completely, totally out of the squad. It's so worrying when, you know, you need to score goals to win games. And at this point, I think the U.S. might, since when you're starting your matches with a traditional nine and he's not scoring goals, I feel like starting maybe with a false nine and trying to play more creative through that way and just keep the play flowing in a tournaments type setting where all it really takes is one goal if you're standing at the back, which the U.S. has been, you know, for a while. I think that's definitely something Greg has to consider because this, it's not really a problem where, oh, none of our struggles are performing right now just for a, uh, you know, a short period of time. This has been really a chronic issue for many, many years. And every time someone comes up, we say they're going to be the next big thing. They're not. And I don't know if it's the system that Greg plays that stops, you know, players who are in form for their clubs, not scoring for the national team, but whatever it is, I think a system change has to definitely be something that Greg considers because you can't go into guitar with no confidence in who your goal scorer is going to be. Right. And I think, you know, there might be questions arising on that end of how can you do a system change going into the biggest competition of this generation's life. But I definitely think the talent is there where such a system change wouldn't really, you know, you have those, have that week before the world cup to tune up and, you know, tucking Pulisic into the nine or, you know, Gio Reyna's eventually fit. And he feels Greg feels comfortable that he can go at least like 70, 60 minutes. I think for me, at least that makes sense hypothetically, because then if you need to go get a goal, you can bring on a you know in the box threat if you're trying to go big with like a Haji Wright or who have you. But keeping things moving here, transferring away from the domestic in terms of the United States, going over to our friends across the pond. The last ticket to the World Cup in terms of the U.S. group was punch as Ukraine fell short from completing, I don't want to say a fairy tale run because it wasn't like they were heavily underdogged in any game, but a fairy tale run considering, you know, global widespread implications. First, they take down Scotland last week, three to one. Uh, you know, in that game, they were the aggressors. Scotland looked to be on the ropes early. 
Yarmolenko, Yaremchuk getting the first two goals, and then McGregor gets one in the 79th. And then Skyland looked to be dangerous going forward in those closing 10 minutes. And then these Ukrainian names, man. I, I, if they don't play, like, in the Premier League or never relevant on foothead, like Yarmolenko was once considered the Ukrainian Messi because he had insane stats and played for Sevilla, so you could get that Liga Santander link. Um, but Dobka, I don't know. Ah. D-O-V-Y-B. Number 11. Yeah, to all of our fans out there, correct pronunciation earns a guest appearance on FUVFC. You can quote me on that. They move on 3-1 against Scotland. And then they're taking on Wales, and it's, you know, heartbreaking for so many ways. Obviously, an own goal being the one conceded against Yarmolenko. But also just because it was a Wales performance that, you know, reminded you, uh, at least reminded me watching that match of Wales a la 2016 Euros, where they get a couple goals or get a goal, and then, man, do they park the bus like nobody's business, which, as we talk about the U.S. men's team, struggling to find that killer punch going forward. Swales team is not one to be overlooked in an already solid group with Iran and England pre-locked prior to this, this playoff. And when I look at the way Wales played in that, in that playoff against Ukraine, yes, they parked the bus, but I mean, I think they, if they, they parked it poorly, sure the bus was parked, but, Ukraine had some great A scoring chances from point blank range. It's not like they were struggling to get chances in the box and their crosses were getting blocked away. It was, they had some great A chances that someone more clinical, you know, would have punished the Welsh. But then you think about someone more critical and you think about the United States and you're like, Oh God, do we have somebody more critical, more clinical in front of goal? And I think the Welsh should not be overlooked. Even though when you look at them, maybe man for man, Joe Allen and Aaron Rams in the midfield, I mean, Weston McKenney kept Aaron Ramsey on the bench at Juventus and forced him to transfer to, to, to Scotland, to Rangers. Maybe that's not totally accurate, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. Joe Allen is a championship midfielder. I think we're better than them, you know, maybe man for man, but then you think about just the togetherness and, you know, how much passion the Welsh have. And they're going to park the bus. I don't, we don't really play that well against teams that park the bus. They did what they had to do, but... I think it's a game that the U.S. has to approach that it's definitely winnable, but you can't overlook the Welsh. Especially, you know they're going to park the bus. We're going to try and get that goal. We might do it, we might not, but it's going to be a tough, tough opening game. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, uh, congrats uh, for them on making the World Cup. You know, their goalkeeper, Hennessy, decided to have a, you know, a Courtois-like performance with nine saves, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, you know, and, and Wales could have made it two or three uh, in the second half. You know, they had some uh, one one off the post, and then Bale had a shot saved. But uh, congrats to them. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, the first match, if, if you said so, the first match is against Wales uh, uh, for the U.S. I forget the exact date, but that's like the, the first stage. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they play. Um, I unfortunately, uh, I wasn't able to watch it. I was, uh, I was at the Yankees game, uh, cause it was a, a I think it was a 1130 AM game over here. So, uh, I was, I was there. I wasn't able to watch the whole thing, but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously heartbreak, uh, for Ukraine, you know, uh, uh, like you said, Keenan, they were, you know, one went away from, you know, performing some type of fairy or like a Cinderella story, I guess. 
Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Wales got the job done. And, you know, it's a chance for, you know, Gareth Bale to possibly finish out uh, his 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 career on a on a higher note than than, than winning the Champions League uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Well, if we remind ourselves of the famous Gareth Bale quote, which was Wales, golf, Real Madrid, obviously. In a, that order. In that order. A Wales triumph ranks higher than a Real Madrid Champions League trophy and maybe even higher than his golf game. We don't know. Gentlemen, before we break, you know, transfer window craze hasn't fully hit us yet, but – We've heard some speculations. We know that Sadio Mane most likely is on the move. We see Spurs making big moves for Perisic, which I saw a lot of Spurs fans get up for, which I never really understood because he was mediocre at best, whether that was with Bayern or with Inter. It's always kind of just been there. That being said, who do we think, as we switch to two weeks for these podcasts, who do we think is going to have the biggest offseason in the Premier League? Obviously, the heavy favorites are – United, because they have so many holes to fill, with, especially, you know, you know, Pogba's leaving, which relatively doesn't hurt them because he's been in shambolic form. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up. You can bet your money he's going to some lesser club in a less competitive league where he can score gimmick goals. But obviously United's a heavy favorite. You'd have to imagine that Arsenal's going to look to establish a veteran, you know, probably going forward. Like I said, ending his time as a gunner, obviously they're young going forward, but I wouldn't be surprised if you saw the introduction of a veteran striker, whoever that may be. Liverpool has forward holes to fill. Obviously, we saw them make a big signing with Luis Diaz, who was an instant impact. And I always felt that, with the exception of Nabi Keita, because I'm just not a Nabi Keita fan, I feel like Klopp has always made sneaky signings that end up impacting the club in massive ways. So, gentlemen, the floor is open. Who in the Prem do we think is going to have the biggest offseason? I'll go first. I'll get my pick out of the way. I personally think you can count out the top five. I think Leicester City. Now, they're a team that suffered from a ton of injuries this past season. You know, when you look at that team that still has a number nine, a true number nine in Jamie Vardy that was injured himself, throughout this entire season. He put up 16 and 16 Premier League goals and I want to say 26 matches. So still an incredible conversion rate. You still have James Madison under contract for another year and a half. You've got a young back line and then obviously Schmeichel and Matt. I, I think Leicester City knows that this team, this core, even though the core is really James Vardy, Jamie Vardy, excuse me. But with him and Madison, you kind of know that that runs at the end of the year their time. I wouldn't be surprised if they make try and make a couple, you know, sneaky moves this summer to reinsert themselves into European soccer conversation. I'm not saying they're going to become it, you know, be gunning for top four or anything, but I think in Leicester, they have to be disappointed, you know, due to injuries and whatnot about their performances these past couple of years, missing out on European soccer and getting knocked out consistently out of European soccer. I don't think it's really a question of who's going to have the, the best transfer window. I think it's who's already made the most, the biggest marquee move of the entire summer. And that's city uh, signing Erling Holland already, I think puts them above other teams. About when you can signing that turn official. (laughs) 
think Matt Terry can have a real impact off the bench. He's going to be a real, real locker room he'll, guy. He'll hold those waters like no one else, baby. <laughs> like no one else. Better than Zach Steffen holds the waters. But I think when you – for City, a team where the criticism, criticism sometimes has been they get a true goal scorer, although their false nine system plays so well. I mean, they just won the Premier League without really a true striker. And you bring in the most one of the most prolific goal scorers in the entire world, a player who has the potential to become the best player in the world. He's one of the best players in the world already. The only real questions are fitness issues. He had some injuries there. But you put a player like Erling Holland already an incredibly stacked Man City team. I don't see how they didn't win a summer transfer window already with a signing like that to just a team that's already so, so, so good. And just to put a player like that up in the number nine is almost unfair. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm honestly trying to think of a team that, like, I mean, maybe Newcastle, just because, you know, this is, like, their first actual year. Maybe expect them to see them spend even more. Um, as you said, Keenan United have to have a good window or else, you know, what, what was the whole point of, uh, of getting Ten Hagen? You know, like, everyone has that feeling about what's going to happen and if if they don't have a good window. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, Liverpool are in talks. Um, in signing, I'm blanking on his name right now, but the striker from uh, Benfica, uh, Nunez, I'm pretty sure. Um, so th- that's in the works. But as of right now, yeah, the only team that has done a, a huge, huge move has been City. But I, I would expect Liverpool to not respond with – but I, I would expect Liverpool to maybe make a couple more signings because as of right now, those two are, you know, better than, than any other team um, – well, I would say in the world, but uh, I've been proven wrong in, in a couple of weeks. Um, but, uh, you know, th- those are the two best in the Premier League. So I would expect Klopp to, you know, reload, um, make a couple of good moves, um, and, then, and then, you know, uh, and we'll see what happens. But, yeah, right now I would say that City um, are huge, huge favorites uh, uh, for everything, I'd say. Michael, yeah. are you okay, by the way? I haven't talked to you since the Champions League final. <laughs> um. He's done that, the first kit for today's episode. Who guess, man? <laughs> um, I, I, I'm doing all right. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, it's not how you want to end a season. Uh, but, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, it's the greatest FA Cup, League Cup double ever. Yeah, exactly. Like, everyone's like, the quad, the quad. And then in the span of seven days, it goes down to just uh, – a two cup finals and on and every single minute of a final Liverpool didn't score a single goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing right. I, I still never, I, I never wrote the article for that, Nick, just cause I was like, You're I, so don't depressed. Know, I, I, I don't want to write about how Real won the 14th, but um, yeah, I, I feel all right now. Um, but yeah, no, that, that, that day uh, I was texting wolves and uh, yeah, I, I was not in a good mood. Gentlemen, that's going to be, about all of our time together, always great to hop on the phone with you or in person, whatever format we're, we're rocking with for the week. We'll see each other hopefully in two weeks. I don't know if it's going to be this exact trio. Maybe it will be the golden trio as Nick Guzman described myself, him, and James. Or maybe I'm going to get snipped and the other golden trio can have a run. It's, it's clear to me, Mike. Other golden trio. You, Mike, and uh, you, Nick, and James, it's clear to me that the freshmen are trying to oust us older guys. So You were off for a couple of weeks. 
I know. I I get vacation. Was that by design, or did Greg Ware just like? I get vacation days too here, Nick. Okay. Yeah. I don't get to run the show every week. Uh, Nick, don't forget the week that you made like you called yourselves the self-proclaimed golden trio. I was supposed to be on that week. <laughs> all right, all right. Was, Just the it was a miscommunication. We're we're gonna wrap here, boys. Always great. Fuvfc probably switch into you know once every two weeks until leagues start to pick back up and we gear up for the World Cup in the fall. So until next time, Keenan Troy for Michael Hernandez and Nick Guzman saying enjoy this summer weather. And before we leave, Michael, you thought we weren't going to get an MLS plug in here. We are. MLS is still happening. NYCFC, New York Red Bulls, two of the hottest teams in the MLS MLS Eastern Conference. Be sure to check them out, you know, barring a blackout by MLS because they seem to follow the MLB's TV rights deal and, you know, not make local games accessible. That's a whole different tangent. Until next time, though, for FUVFC, Michael, Nick, and myself, Keenan Troy, saying take care, everybody. Enjoy this summer break.